Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. This is the Awesomers.com podcast episode number 22. And as always, you can go to awesomers.com slash 22 to find relevant show notes and details. My special guest today is Paul Barron, who is a second generation Colorado native. He's also a husband, father, and entrepreneur. Between the ages of five and 30, some of Paul's entrepreneurial misadventures included shoveling driveways in the winter to make money for skiing, running paper routes, carting lawn care equipment around town inside a geometro, metro, and of course, this is uh, defying the laws of physics, but he did it anyway, everybody. Uh, he's also run scrap metal recycling routes with his uncle, starting and failing in a videography business, starting and failing a web design business, and as we all know, it's not really failing, it's just learning and gathering data points along the way. Really great episode where Paul shares some of his beginnings and some of the things he's been able to do and put together since those uh, not-so-auspicious startup moments. And I just love a good Osmer origin story where we're able to kind of see some of the past, see some of the struggles, and then we get to see the chapter that he's on right now, and I can't wait to see his future. I know everyone will join me in welcoming Paul to the show. It's going to be a great one. Hey everybody, welcome back to Awesomers.com podcast. This is Steve Simonson, and I have a special guest today, Paul Barron. Paul, how are you? I am fantastic, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm uh, thrilled to have you, as always. Uh, we've had a chance to kind of catch up at uh, some past events. I, I don't know, I think we were in Florida or whatever, and, and got to hear some of some of your story and uh, and some of the things you're working on. It's, to, it's, to me, it's very inspiring and also quite helpful for other Awesomers and entrepreneurs out there. So, uh, if you could just help us set the stage today by just giving us kind of a, a general uh, overview of, you know, who you are, what you do, and uh, the things that take most of your time today, and then we'll dive into your history in a minute. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so general overview, um, married, uh, two kids. I have a one-year-old daughter. She just turned one like a week ago, and her big brother is going to be uh, four in about a week, and I'm going to be taking him camping. So uh, that's my biggest claim to fame, I feel. <laughs> For I sure. <laughs> well, I've seen those cute little things. And uh, I think your daughter was probably, I don't know, six months at the time I saw her. And just or was, uh-huh. Is it your daughter who's turning uh, one? Yeah, she just turned one. Yeah, she yeah. was about six months, I think. Yeah, because that was yeah. April, so eight months or so. Yeah. But really? yeah, yeah, it's crazy how, how time flies with them. So that's my uh, uh, why I do what I do, um, my day job quote unquote, is uh, running, you know, physical product business, selling the baby space. So use them, my kids as models, um, hopefully not abuse, but <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, uh, they're happy, uh, happy, unknowing volunteers, I'm sure. <laughs> Current, currently, my son has started saying no pictures. Like, oh, no, is that right? No <laughs> yeah, At four, can... right. He's giving you the, uh, the paparazzi yeah. shine on, hey, no pictures, no. get out of here. Next I, thing you know, I, he'll I, pull a uh, Mel Gibson and punch you in the face. Or talk to my agent. You know? Oh, I like that. Yeah, he's kind <laughs> of the action. So uh, as you've as you've you know started putting um, uh, you know things together and and in your business, you have a number of well, at least a couple different things that you're doing. Can you help us understand kind of your your primary business and then some of the new startup things you're involved in? Yeah, I call them accidental businesses. This the startup ones. Um, we let's see, a year ago, 2017. 
Um, so my wife and I, my business partners, Ben and Nate and uh, Charity, uh, Ben's wife, uh, all took ASM. And so we just as a part of that, it's changed our lives. And I feel like it's one of the one of the biggest reasons um, that training, uh, you know, helped get us to where we are. So we started promoting ASM when they started doing the relaunches last year, ASM 7. Um, we started a group called Physical Product Pros, mainly as a place to put people that had questions like our friends. So when we promoted it, we said, hey, we're going to get a commission for you signing up, but that's not why we're doing this. Um, we just look at that as our consulting fee. So we gave all the bonuses, um, you know, had a, we have a little mastermind group. And then, you know, we did ASM 8. And all through last year, I was like, you know, this is kind of turning into a real thing because people kept asking to get into the group that didn't sign up through our affiliate link wanting to pay. So that turned into a real business like we uh, incorporated in the state of Colorado earlier this year. And because of doing all the mentorship, you know, regularly with Ben and Nate, um, we were always sharing like, you know, latest tips and tricks that we were doing and started using messenger bots last year. And uh, I had some really great success launching products, getting reviews. Ben was getting some great success. So was Nate. And so we decided to uh, start a course. And that was, again, like earlier this year, um, we had a chance to go down to, to Florida in March, got to talking about it there prior to SellerCon. So SellerCon was April. Um, and we were just like, all right, let's do a course. And so we did it. And we're in the middle, like basically everything's done. We're tying a bow on all the modules now. And I will be honest, I did not realize how hard putting a course together is. It is really, really time consuming. And I have so much more respect now for everybody that has ever put together a course of any quality, like good quality, obviously. But yeah, so that's, that's been taking a lot of my time, Messenger Bot University, MBU, which was, again, it sort of, Ben and I were talking, hey, do you want to do a course? Sort of fell into our laps. We started doing it and um, it's going really well. We've helped a lot of people and that's, um, I love that, so. It's a classic uh, example of what uh, the e-myth uh, Michael Gerber calls the entrepreneurial seizure, right? We're like, hey, uh, this bolt of lightning hit me. Uh, I think it's a good one. And then you kind of just charge off and solve the problems as you go. And it sounds like, and I think this is probably a, a lesson well learned, you know, Everybody who looks at these courses go, you know, we, we think to ourselves, ah, you know, how hard is this? So you record a couple of videos and this and that, you're done, right? But the, the amount of work and the preparation and the planning and the, you know, sequencing it, all of that stuff, and then making it worthwhile, right? It has to be noteworthy and meaningful. All that is extraordinarily difficult, especially when you have to do it on an ongoing basis. So kudos to you guys on taking that challenge. I appreciate that. And I think it's, I've joked, like, if I didn't care that anybody got results, it'd be way easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> that, but I, uh, that would make any of our jobs easier, right? We just uh, ship uh, ship anything we want in a box to people and go, hey, good luck to you. You know, it's a surprise. <laughs> right. But, I, I like yeah. that. And now my understanding is um, as a result of the ASM that you guys also launched your own product and that you've been selling uh, online. And, and is that, you know, something that you guys still continue on today or are you wrapped up in these other things? It's, it's funny because that's the majority of our bread and butter, like that pays all the bills still. And it's the best. I love it. Um, you know, actually, um, it's funny because I'm a night person and I was informed by my wife last night that I needed to stay up to one to talk to some new suppliers that we're making some, um, you know, connections with in Vietnam for a, a new product that we're launching. So um, <laughs> I was up to like three talking to them, but it was a good thing. And that's, you know, I, uh, during the production phase of MBU, like I thought that I could do that like a couple hours a week, 20, and it was, it was like full time. And, uh, it was like 95% of my focus for the past two or three months, but now that the, the production's done, like I said, and so now I'm actually to dive back into my, my real, I don't, not that MBU is a fake business, but like my main business. Sure, sure. Well, this is, uh, you know, as you have multiple initiatives going, you have to allocate your time. And, you know, sometimes the plates, you know, spinning okay on their own, and then you got to go back and balance them again and, and uh, get the, the plate spinning more. So let's dive in. Uh, uh, right after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about your origin story, and then talk about some of the, the things that are most important to you. Uh, we'll be right back after this. 
Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. Hey, giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. And here we are. We're back again. Can you believe it? It was that fast. Uh, we're talking with Paul Barron, and uh, this is Steve Simonson on Awesomers.com podcast, and we are trying to dig in to kind of Paul's origin story. What makes him tick? Why is he so special, and how did he get here? And that's uh, always, for me, one of the most interesting parts of it because we, we tend to find all kinds of different patterns and all kinds of different uh, origin stories, and uh, you know it, that's, to me, very inspiring. So, Paul, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, where were you born? So I was born in... I think it was for well i was born in colorado it was either greeley or fort collins um moved around a bunch when i was a kid but grew up born and bred colorado nice and what was your first job oh geez uh so i don't know if you want to call it a job but i guess the first thing that i did to make money was when i was five um my mom my mom actually reminded me about this i would take drawings to the grocery store that i had made and i think it drew like candy and things you know as five-year-old as good as a five-year-old can draw and i would give i, I would find grandmas that was my target because i knew the grandmas <laughs> you knew the them. demographic at five nice carry yeah. on <laughs> like the grandmas would buy them so i would take them to the grandmas and i would hand them the piece of paper and i would say do you want this and they of course would say yes because you know what cute five-year-old giving somebody a drawing and then i would say well that'll be five cents or ten cents or whatever arbitrary number I was hawking my drawings for that day. So I don't know if I would call that a job, but that was my first business endeavor. My first, I don't know if you count a paper out as a job, but I did that. And then I, my first actual job, I remember hourly getting paid. I worked at a, like a funplex doing go-karts. And I remember thinking that it was minimum wage back then was five bucks an hour. Oh, you were living in the, the salad days of minimum wage. I, I used to make three bucks an hour and back in my uh, minimum wage day. So five bucks an hour and you're working at the Funplex. It, how did you find that job, by the way? My sister worked there and it was a place that we would go to you know, drive go-karts. And so I was 15, had to hitch a ride to work with my sister. And I just, I remember thinking, I can't believe they're paying me $5 every hour to be here. That was like blew my mind. <laughs> I like that. That's a that's a good a motivated lesson at that age. And uh, you know, at at about fifteen, I was washing dishes in the back of uh, a restaurant for whatever it was, three bucks an hour. It might have even been two sixty six an hour because they could pay fifteen year olds less than you know the the full adults or whatever. And I remember thinking, this is a nightmare. Why am I back here? And they're only paying me two sixty six an hour. So the funplex was a very strategically wise move. Is my <laughs> message to you. Uh, so how about, uh, you know, let's skip forward. We know now that you, you know, you have a successful uh, brand that you uh, sell and, and uh, move on uh, in the online space, e-commerce world, and you've got some of these other businesses started. Was there a big lesson learned on the journey so far that you care to share with the awesome audience out there? Yeah, uh, because of the, I guess, the position that I've put myself in being mentor to, you know, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of people. Um, one of the things that my biggest takeaway through this and reflecting on my journey, it sounds super trite, um, but you hear this all the time from stage that success is not a destination. It's a journey. Um, and that sounds so cheesy until you're in it. Like, um, and I think of this just because of the people that I would deem successful. I don't know now looking at like the place that I'm at with, um, I don't, I don't think it's like a dollar amount really because, uh, early on when I was getting started, I, my goal was to do something like five grand a month or something initially. And then I wanted to do, I wanted to get to 50, like that was some arbitrary number. And so as, as I've gotten to these milestones, I've just realized that they're just numbers. Like that you still have the same, you're running the same business. you you have the same types of issues. Uh, but the people that are successful and their businesses continue to grow. Those are the ones that I was, I would deem as successful because they're, they're achieving whatever they've set out to accomplish. So if they have their goal is to 
you know, stay home and be a stay-at-home dad or mom or quit their jobs or something, then they're, then they're successful in that endeavor. Uh, those people, they are doggedly persistent and they don't quit when the chips are down. And um, fortunately, um, I'm, I'm like that and I don't really like to take no for an answer. Uh, so that's good. That, that's a big takeaway for me is just be doggedly persistent, but you have to be teachable because if you're not teachable and you're doggedly persistent, you might get onto a bad idea or something that could derail your business. And because you're arrogant and you're not listening to people, then you'll sink your business. So you've got to always be learning. You've got to be doggedly persistent and just don't quit. Like don't quit when the chips are down. And I, that's the biggest thing that I have learned. And I just continue to, I guess, you know, tell myself every day that, um, you know, my success is, in large part controlled by me, but there are a lot of external factors. And if something happens, the business is, you know, goes down the drain, I can just start over again. Yeah, that's a really good lesson. So there's a couple things in there that are interesting in my view. Uh, the first is persistence is critical, right? Uh, where in my view, um, entrepreneurs in particular are in the business of solving problems. So guess what? When you wake up and there are problems, that's why we exist. That's what we have to do. Um, and, and therefore persistence to see it through is important, but I like your, your little uh, extra spin, which is, you know, don't be too set in your ways, right? Uh, if you can't learn, you can't adapt, then you may just find those same challenges, those same problems over and over and solving the problem should be a systemic long-term solution, not just treating those symptoms over and over. Ideally, that's my experience. And then, uh, of course the idea that <laughs> any of us, you know, would look at, um, uh, kind of failure as a as a destination or the end point it's like oh this idea didn't work so you know this business didn't work so i'm out it's like no that's just another you know milestone that you go by and you pick it up and you do it again it's uh it really doesn't matter that much and so i i definitely support those uh points i think those are very nice lessons learned uh how about was there ever a defining moment where maybe it was you know before you took the uh, online course or was there any particular moment that you're like I've got to be an entrepreneur I, I can't you know do whatever I ha was doing before you became an entrepreneur I've got to do my own thing anything that set you down that path that's sort of been a lifelong journey for me really um, I, f I feel like the people that are like you and I entrepreneurs um, you're born with it and, and unfortunately in our culture there's not a lot of guidance to help budding entrepreneurs find their way, you know, and you're always pushed into well, you've got to get a job and then you've got to, you know, you got to go to college and you got to do all these things. Um, but there's no other path for entrepreneurs. And so um, that was something for me that was just always in me. Like, I don't know what it is. I just like doing my own thing. Um, pretty headstrong, like I said, and I see that in my son. <laughs> <laughs> Already at four. That's why he needs an agent. <laughs> yes, he is so... He wants, he has his plan and he wants to do his plan. And I feel like that's, that was me. Like I had my plan. I wanted to do it. And for me, the reason why, again, I do his family, I want to be, I like going on mission trips and giving back and helping people. And for me, a great thing that I would love to do um, years ago when I was um, in, in school, this was probably 15 years ago, college. Um, I had this idea that I wanted to, to, go into third world countries, help people start businesses so that they could provide for themselves. But the problem was, is I had never successfully started a business. So I knew that if I was going to do that, I would have to start a business and be successful in it. And so then, you know, started and failed multiple different types of businesses, you know, videography and uh, I don't know, web design and marketing and all kinds of things. So that was just early on. And I think it just, as I grew up more and I found out more of who I was as a person and became more comfortable in my skin, I realized that it, it, working for somebody else was just not for me. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, can be a challenge uh, if you are wired a certain way to, you know, some people just don't want to take orders from other people. Honestly, it boils down to that simple. Um, and it sounds like your son is in that category. So good luck to you. Uh, one of the things that, that, you know, strikes me that as we think about an entrepreneurial journey is that point of where you say, uh, maybe I'm on the right track. Was there ever kind of that best day or that aha moment where you're like, hey, something's working here. This is kind of cool. 
Can yeah. you describe that? So I'll go back. Um, this is probably five years ago now, six years. I can't remember. I'm terrible with dates and time. Um, I was uh, hired on as employee number 12 at a web development company. And I, it was my first big boy job, my real job. Um, I was getting paid like 30 grand a year. And um, coming from nothing, I really had nothing. And that was the most I'd ever made in my entire life. I was stoked out of my mind. And so I was like, okay, I've got to do my best to make sure that everything that I do, I value to the company. And I'm just really good at networking. That's what I do naturally. So my thing was I would always connect the dots and, um, uh, you know, business A to business B. And so I was moved over into becoming the director of channel sales uh, within a year, uh, about a year and a half after that. So I was there for like two and a half years, I was fired. And it was one of those things that that entrepreneur inside of me was just like struggling to get out. And um, the company was going through some growing pains. Um, and I, as a business owner, now I see that. Um, back then, I was just had a terrible attitude. And I didn't, there was like, uh, there's all sorts of stuff going on. So I was fired um, over the phone. And that put me into a year of, uh, honestly, I went through a period of depression trying to figure out what was going on. I knew that I wanted to do my own thing and I was sort of forced into it. You know, um, I played around with different jobs throughout the time, but because of my position at this web development company, I had networked really well in the local community and in the local community, everybody kind of knew me as the guy to talk to for web design, web development. Mm -hmm. So I kept getting people coming to me, asking me to do this. And I was like, Oh, I do not want to start a web development company. I hate it. I don't want to do that, but I did it. Started making money. Um, I did it with a partner, one of my best friends, and he still is my best friend, but he uh, had to support his family and get a full-time job. So he was working full-time. We were working like nights. Um, and then I picked up a job waiting tables. This was in 2015. Okay. Right. Uh, no, I was, sorry, 2014. Uh, I started this company in July. We had our son in August of that year. And um, I think my best month ever in that business, we, we made eight grand or something mm -hmm. like that. And it was just a struggle the entire time because it's me and my buddy um, doing everything. I was, I'm doing sales, I'm, doing, I'm writing code, I'm building the sites, you know, and I'm working nights as a waiter and more nights doing this. I saw the opportunity for, for ASM through the course. And that was a big aha moment because again, like my entrepreneurial journey was built off of like this business failed less than the la than this business. And I just learned like, okay, well, this business failed. Well, why did this fail? Okay, so the videography business failed because of this. Now this business failed less. And so that was called Catalyst Media Group. And it was making money, but it just wasn't what I wanted because I was working like 70, 80 hours a week. This is crazy. And that was not why I went to business for myself. I went to, my, I went to business for myself because I wanted to have time and location freedom. I wanted to use these skills to help teach people how to start a business. And it was like torture. I hated it. A year in, I was, I was like, this is su this sucks. Um, because of my past experience helping other brands grow and build themselves, I saw the idea behind, you know, private labeling on Amazon. And I was like, light bulbs went off. I was like, this is brilliant. This is amazing. So um, talked about it with my wife and, you know, put it on a credit card because, again, I'm working two jobs, don't have any money in the bank. Um, prayed about it first. That's a big step. Uh, if you're a person of faith, do that. Um, talk to your wife, your, your significant other, and pray. Uh, <laughs> Good so advice uh, for anybody uh, paying attention, especially the significant other. <laughs> and then the super significant other if you're into such things. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you don't want to start a business without your, without your partner supporting you. Because when you start a business, the world is basically against you anyway, and you need support. So um, I was extremely blessed that Rochelle had my back. And she is not an entrepreneur. She's very safety driven. But the, our business runs really smoothly together because we balance each other out. She thinks of all the, I mean, she's amazing. Uh, she's the reason why we're successful. So uh, that was 2015. We took the course in May um, and I was in a rush to get products live. Um, that's another thing that I see with successful people is they don't, they, they take quick action. They take action and they take it quick. They don't wait to make sure that everything's perfect and they, and they keep going and they perfect as they go. 
So we launched our first product in July, 2015. Incidentally, it was on prime day, the very first prime day ever. Wow. And, um, it just so happened to be that day. We had nine sales our first day. And that <laughs> was like, this is, this is real. This is happening. And you should have seen the photos we had and the brand that the logo that I made. It was so bad. <laughs> photos were terrible. Oh man. Copy was bad. Everything was bad, but people bought. We had nine sales. This is, um, this is actually a really good time to reflect on the fact that, you know, Paul's made some very important points. One is, you know, they're, the so-called failure are just these learning opportunities along the way, right? As long as we capture skills, that's equity. We've got knowledge equity there. And he then applied it to each uh, successive business. And that for me, I do the exact same thing. Anytime we launch something, I think of it as an iterative process where we just kind of go version one and 1.1 will be better. 1.4 will be even better. And by the time we look at version three, we're embarrassed at version one, right? As you're talking about your first listing, which even got sales, today you would never launch with that because of all your acquired skills. Is that fair to say? Totally. Uh, and that's, it's funny because you just, you really hit the nail on the head there because as a quote unquote successful, you know, online seller now, you, I can tend to get caught in the trap of now that we have built a solid brand, we have great products, you know, they're amazing, that I won't release a new product unless it's amazing. And that has stopped us from seizing some really great opportunities, to be completely honest, instead of releasing it and then iterating. I'm not saying you want to, you know, go into the market with something that's completely unproven, untested. You know, you're going to have exploding batteries or something. Make sure that all those bases are covered. But if it's like, you know, you're, you're doing a shirt and you want to make the sleeves a little longer and that's holding you back, just do it. Like start it and make the sleeves longer as you go. Yeah, just go. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. That acting with a sense of urgency is something that really is what, to me, often separates those at the front of the pack versus those at the middle or back of the pack. Right, that the ones really leading the race are often those who just acted with urgency. They got out of the gates as quick as they could, and they improved as they went. Uh, the important point, of course, is you don't bet the farm. Right, if you have, you know whatever, $10,000 of capital, $100,000 of capital, or even just a thousand of capital, you know, you don't want to make sure that you, you bet the farm on something that is, uh, is a complete dud, but gosh, do something because that knowledge equity is just something you, you can't capture uh, until you experience it. So, uh, so as you, as you kind of put that together and how long did it take from kind of that prime day launch in 2015 to to where you felt like, wow, now this is looking like a real business. Right. So I uh, remember the best month that I had ever had with Catalyst, um, my media, my web development company was $8,000 in one, in one month. And I felt like I was living the high life because, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's a decent amount of money. I mean, if you, you know, five grand a year or five grand per month for a year, 60 grand yearly. So that's a decent salary that you can make. Um, uh, by August, we were running around eight grand a month in, in our, in our physical product business. I was also still running catalyst, um, and working nights as a waiter. So it was had wow. three, three things. Uh, that was a lot. And, um, yeah, that was, I felt like we had made it then. And I felt like, uh, wow, this is just great. I mean, we we've, you know, we've tapped the market on this particular product line. We've got to add a new one. And um, the, a bit of advice I could give for people that think that and think it early, uh, don't necessarily think that you've tapped the market because you've hit some weird arbitrary number. Sorry, you hear my dog barking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, I think he was agreeing with you. Yeah, carry on. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, you don't, don't think that you tapped the market because you've reached some weird arbitrary number that you've set for yourself. Um, just keep going. And so, you know, we did eight grand in August and then, uh, our products are really summer seasonal and, uh, starting in January, they, we went up to like 10 or 12 and then we were at like 25 and, and, and it just kept going bigger and bigger and bigger. Same initial product line. We tried launching a new product in November, the fall, the prior year, and it, it failed. It wasn't very good. Um, learned from that, learned what not to do. Um, it was lucky that wasn't your first one, honestly, right? Because uh, that's that's often people end up with a uh, you know so-so or a dud product on the first one. They're like, ah, this doesn't even work. And then they quit. It's yeah. it blows my mind. 
um, I have so much respect for people that get the duds first and they keep going. Like I have a good friend that I met the very first live event that I ever went to. And we still talk all the time. We're still in our, our initial mastermind that we set. Um, she lives up in Canada. So I'm going to shout out to Sherry because she inspires me so much because her first four or five products were duds, like four or five. Yeah. And she just, she just kept going. She is so, I love it. I love people like that. And now she's killing it. But um, yeah, if you, if you have products that fail, those are awesome learning experiences. Don't get it down. Really, just- really important to understand that. I think Paul's making a, such a salient point that anybody who's thinking about getting into business or e-commerce or specifically starting your own brand of physical products, just know that it's like going to Harvard. You're, you're just, you know, every product you put out there is a, is a semester at Harvard or Oxford or pick your favorite university. You're going to get more knowledge you could possibly imagine. And the next version will be better. Whether it's the same product or a different iteration of something different, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter because the knowledge is just something that compounds an in interest. And I agree with you that the folks who, who have been kind of on that launch path where they had some struggles, you know, they didn't have any hits, they had all duds or, or even lukewarms or whatever. It's that level of persistence that really defines them as awesomeers. So kudos to uh, Sherry and anybody else who's uh, able to continue that, that process uh, as you go. So, uh, so I, I love this kind of journey that you've taken because it really does demonstrate the normal thing that I, that I see is, you know, everybody comes from so many different things we all have to kind of find our way to, you know, what, whatever makes sense for us. Not everybody's an entrepreneur, but in your case, it made sense for you to evolve towards being an entrepreneur. And then you put some businesses together. And then ultimately, now you've found some things that are gaining traction and you're leveraging those uh, things as you go. Do you, do you think in five years you'll still be selling physical products? For sure. Um, I, it's just like you said, it's like, you've cracked the code, you've got it. You know, I was reading a couple different blogs yesterday about what millionaire billionaires, famous people, you know, Mark Cubans would do if they lost it all. And you just start over every, every single one of them, like um, Warren Buffett said, he just start investing again because he's good at investing. He knows, he knows how that works. Mark Cuban would go get a job at a bar, save his money until he could afford to start a business. He would sell something. I'm good at selling. So um, I think in 10 years, I will. I already have these crazy ideas of stuff that I want to do that are way, way bigger than, you know, Amazon. It's, um, you know, it's kind of silly, but I want to change the world. Um, it's not and- silly. I think I love that. And it's, we need more, more awesomers and entrepreneurs with that attitude that you can, in fact, make a positive difference in the world in all kinds of ways, including your part of your original vision, which you talked about helping people in other countries start businesses. Um, maybe it's in the, the Kiva type of model. For those listeners who don't know, Kiva is a micro crowdfunding kind of platform where you can do micro loans and then they aggregate those loans and help farmers across the world with very small loans in, in theory. You know, it could be $100, it could be $200 or whatever to help them buy crops. And they have an extraordinarily high success rate, but it's, it's a way that they have been able to help people around the world kind of help themselves. And that's, I like that mentality. And I, I appreciate the fact that you're kind of driving your vision towards something in that concept as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So 10 years, that's, I guess, where I see myself um, just doing more and hopefully being able to help more people. I like that. So let's, let's uh, switch gears and talk about a, a common entrepreneurial problem um, and that is involved with marketing, trying to drive leads or deal with, you know, some of the, the business functions in marketing. And you've, you've talked about your message about university. Uh, can you frame the, the basic problem that entrepreneurs find themselves in with regards to messenger bots? Maybe they haven't used them. Maybe they don't know about them, but what's kind of a standard entrepreneurial opportunity as it relates to bots? I, I think that, uh, people are in either one or two categories. Well, I guess there's a third, but, um, mostly you know, there could be a good chunk of people that this is the first they're ever hearing about it, which is completely fine because they've only been around and open to the public for about two years. Um, And then there's another group that have heard about them, but they're not doing anything with them because they find them confusing and they don't know how to implement them. 
And then there's a very, very small group of people that have been using them and finding success with them. So we established MBU to basically help that those two biggest groups figure out like what messenger bots are, how they work, that they're not scary, they're not daunting, and then teaching people how to use them to effectively grow and market their businesses. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, this is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y dot com. Parsimony dot com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. And just for everybody uh, listening, we'll have in the show notes at awesomers.com backslash 22, this is episode 22, uh, how you can access uh, you know, the links to, to find Paul and, and his uh, offerings there. It's, it's something that, you know, if you're not familiar with using messenger bots, it's a real big opportunity. And Paul, can you kind of talk about some of the, the, the most interesting statistics and findings that people have when, with regard to bots, say versus email as an example? Yeah, yeah so versus email, um, I would say if you're getting open rates on email like 20% plus, that's you're killing it. Um, we, you know, we're in the middle of a launch process for MBU. We're using bots and email and we're getting open, like click-through rates of like 6%, like that's good like 6% click-through rates are really good. Uh, with, with bots, it's, it's insane actually how, uh, what the difference between like good and bad. On average, our open rates um, are about 90% of you know, the people that send stuff up. So for those of you listening that don't know what a bot is, a messenger bot, essentially think of it like email marketing. It's a program that ties into Facebook Messenger. Uh, Facebook Messenger has about 1.2 billion active users and so just think of it like sending somebody a text message a message to their phone so people typically open these messages within about 13 seconds of receipt uh, so you're getting 90 percent people opening your message it's way more conversational so it's not like email not long form you're not going to send a big old you know huge chunk you're you can use them to initiate a conversation and then manually talk you can take people through whole sales funnels that you built with predetermined yes, no answers. And then the click-through rates. So when people are clicking like those yes, no, or they're, let's say you're sending them to your website or you're telling them about, about a blog or a new product or something. Uh, I'm seeing about like 30 to 70%, 30, you know, depending on how engaged and active, it could be upwards of 80 and 92 on click-through rates. Um, but it's, mind-blowing that like a low low end is 30 percent click-through high end for email open rates like 25 percent and then like good good click-throughs in email is like six percent yeah so those numbers are insanely you know just just take a deep breath everybody and and kind of hear those numbers if you can if you can meet or beat 20 percent email you are killing it and it's common to have you know 85 90 percent open rates in on a bot flow uh, common, wouldn't you say, Paul? Oh, yeah. Like, it's yeah. uncommon. You're doing something wrong if you have less than 80%. There's something, you're, you're, you're blasting your list too much. They're, they're, they're dried up. They're, uh, they're not the right target. But if, if you have something lower than, like, 80%, you're doing something wrong, which is yeah. crazy. It is. It's nuts. Now, this is kind of, in my view, it, it's a parallel to how when email first came out, you know, people liked the idea of getting email. Hey, I hope I get an email sometime, right? Now it's like a, a spam box that, you know, you just try to hope that you can find that picture of your, your grandchild or your, you know, significant other, whatever, from time to time. So bots really have a massive, massive potential. And just for those who don't know, you know, Facebook is the, the leading bot platform this moment, but Skype is working uh, with bots and they have bots and they, they would love to marketize those. Apple, believe it or not, even is... Um, making their messenger service, their texting service, into a bot platform where 
full advertising access and all kinds of access to all Apple customers around the world. So this concept of marketing through bots and bots also mean automation. Can you talk about that a little bit, Paul, the automation piece? Yeah, the automation is awesome. Uh, and that's where I get super geeky. Um, I love, because I guess a little bit of my web dev programming stuff, like if then statements. So like, if this happened, then this happens, if this happened, then this happens. So, um, if your brain works like that, you're going to love bots. If it doesn't, you know, we, we have the training in MBU and there's other trainings out there too, um, that walk you through these flows, but basically it, you could send people through a whole sequence of messages that, uh, you know, most of the time it's like you click a button. So you ask a question like, Hey Steve, um, you know, we just, uh, released a new blog on how to, uh, drink energy drinks or something. Would you like to see it? And you can say yes or no. So if the person says yes, then, then you send them another follow-up message automatically that sends them to the blog. If they say no, then you could still turn that into a yes cleverly if you do. But basically that's like the gist, a positive negative response in general. Like you can get really clever and add third and fourth options and that sort of thing. But um, that's like at its bare bones, simplest you know, give people options, yes, no, depending on what they say, you have another message fire. Well, this is the best part for me is this concept of just thinking through the flow of talking to a customer, just like you were talking to them in person. Uh, you know, it's like uh, Paul said, you know, hey, Steve, you know, we've got this new blog about monster drinks. Or would you like to read it? Yes or no, right? It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll read it, right? And when you click it, you can set up tagging and you can set up all kinds of reference points with that customer profile so that you can market to them later based on them saying yes. If they said no, and your next messenger bot uh, message to them is, you know, you, you can forget the energy thing uh, in that context and just say, hey, uh, you know, how about we've got this new uh, product for, you know, physical well-being. Are you interested in that one? And they might say yes. And how you tag them seems to be a huge opportunity. Is that something you see as yeah. well, Paul? Yeah, totally. I love tagging. And in my mind, um, sales and marketing go so hand in hand because, and, and the best type of sales is selling something to someone that it solves their problem. So the people that are buying your solution, you know, they're not buying an energy drink. They're, they're buying alertness. They're buying being able to get through the day or something. Um, maybe they're buying the flavor but they're not necessarily buying that thing. It's a, it's a problem that they're trying to solve. Maybe they're, you know, whatever. So um, in my mind, marketing to people that raise their hand and say, I am this person, that's where I apply those tags. And so that then later on down the road, I could say, okay, well, I want to send a message to the people that read the energy drink blog, or I want to send a message to the people that read the um, well health and wellness blog or something. Um, and it works really well for, you know, again, product launches specifically, you can track if people click a link and then you can say, Hey, um, you know, you know, Shane, I, you know, wanted to check in to see how you're liking our energy drinks. You know, you like them, love them, hate them. What do you think? So then you can start to filter people out. Let's say they, they hated them. Then you can take it into a manual conversation and figure out why they hated them, how you can make your product better. Um, and, and then, you know, potentially get reviews and all this sort of stuff through tagging and, you know, asking for, um, opinions. It's, uh, I love it. it. It really is a conversational concept. And that's, that's so much different than email, which is kind of, you know, here's uh, an, a message, we hope you act. And if you don't, we're just going to hit you with another message. I realize that in emails, you can set up flows and you can set up uh, different follow-up sequences and so forth based on their responses. But bots, it feels live, it feels conversational. And for me, the fundamental piece is that you can put so much intelligence into it. Uh, when you run an ad on Facebook, for example, and you say, hey, I've got this great new product I'm launching. Who wants you know, to get a, a great deal on it? You can then run that directly to the bot. Isn't that fair to say, Paul? Yeah. So there's several different methods that you can do that. But basically, um, what you'd say is you know, either comment on this post or click the message link, whatever, and it'll automatically pop up in their message. You'll the, the bot, and again, this, there's dozens of bots out there. I mean, um, Message Hero, ManyChat, ChatFuel. Um, I think there's another one specifically being built for Amazon sellers, and I can't remember it. Um, SellerChatBot.com. SellerChatBot, that's right, Paul Harvey. Um, 
and he and I are going to be talking tomorrow, actually. Uh, seller chatbot, I mean, you know, pick your flavor. They all basically do the same thing. But, you know, you say, look at this post. If anybody comments, send them this message. Or, yeah. you know, look at this post. If anybody clicks a link, send them this message. So it's just a powerful thing to be able to add intelligence that is live and that the bots will automate based on these these different criteria. And it's, to me, the, the level of data that you get and the level of kind of intimacy almost with it, the customer is a highly sought after thing for a marketeer. You know, when we think, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, you can talk to Paul Harvey when you talk to him about this tomorrow, but uh, he was sharing a, a success story with me recently where a new product was being launched and they wanted to hand out some one-time use coupons for Amazon, which can kind of be cumbersome and kind of be a pain in the keister for those who have tried to do it, including using ManyChat or any of the um, Zapier kind of connections. It, it just can be a pain. And so he, he was able to have a, a customer demonstrate uh, and successfully use his tool where they handed out 50 coupons uh, and the total cost on the ads was $8, right? So think about that compared to the, the traditional launch concepts. Yeah. Uh, also, the launch concepts now have such a an audience that is, in my view, overweighted with people who will go hijack your listing and sell the highly discounted product against you later, that those are becoming less attractive. So these you know, uh, kind of people who are truly interested in the product that you're advertising to that you can disseminate a one-time use coupon easily and inexpensively. I think that's a, by the way, you know, uh, your, your results may vary, but a, a really extraordinary opportunity. Is that the types of things you use it for? What, what methods do you use, Paul, for bots? Oh, well, yeah, so launching, launching products is huge. Um, I don't recommend doing what I did in April, but I launched three at the exact same time, um, which was insane. Uh, even, even for experienced sellers, <laughs> uh, just do one at a time and then do the next one. But anyway, we got all three of those products ranking, uh, you know, page one within two and a half weeks using only a messenger bot strategy. Wow. Uh, so that's, that's one. And then obviously being able, once you have those people, so you're controlling the endpoint, endpoint to endpoint, you get the customer in, they purchase. And then because you've had them, their subscriber and you've tagged them, you can then follow up with them for a review through through messenger bots. So you've got that, you've got them subscribed through messenger bots. I go a step further and I also get email subscribers. So you can, you know, use messenger bots to launch products. You can use them to build an email list if you really wanted to. Uh, you can use them to get reviews. You can use them to turn cold leads and hot leads. Uh, you can uh, just, it's just endless. I mean, the, the way that I'm viewing this now is that not only are we increasing the sales that we have for our, for our products, but we're increasing the value of our business because we're increasing our assets that we have. So the digital assets that we have being, you know, the, the subscribers uh, to our chatbot, subscribers to our email, uh, those things are when, if you are looking to sell a business, um, having those digital assets will increase the value. Yeah, without question. And whether or not you're looking to sell, you still want to increase your asset base, right? And so why not leverage these types of solutions? And it is true, uh, having you know bought and sold many businesses in my time, um, the larger somebody's lists are, whether they're bot subscriber lists or email lists or you know past customer lists or whatever the case may be, the larger and more active those are, the more valuable your brand is. And let's not let it you know be uh, go unsaid, I su suppose that. By having this conversation with customers, you're making more of a, an impression, more of a relationship with those customers versus kind of the, the one-off emails or the you know, random sale on Amazon. It's a much more brand-centric experience in my view. Is that something you generally agree with, Paul? Uh, 100%. Um, because of the, the relational aspect, and again, we're, we're, in, we're a baby brand, we're, in, we're a family brand. So like 98% of our customers are moms. And so having this conversation, it's crazy because we've actually developed real actual friends in real life. We just got back from a two week road trip like two weeks ago and we drove across the country and meeting up with people that were brand reps for our business that we had met online and social media. And now like, it's crazy to think of this, but that those are the crazy. type of people that you know, you're not just building. We're not building a business. We're building a brand. Um, we're not just selling products. 
uh, a good case point for this. So raving fans, uh, one of the methods that, that we use is targeting past purchasers and we run ads specifically to them and, uh, doing, you know, basically, um, you know, offering them stuff and, uh, just to re-engage with us, like almost every single one of the people that comment on those posts are like, Oh, I love this. I love your other, I love this thing. So I want to try this thing. And then they, so that's in their head that comes to the, the forefront of their, of their thoughts. You're putting a good experience in their minds with, you know, them liking you. And so what we've seen is they, they start telling their friends more too. And so they're, they've had a great experience and they tell their friends. Um, I just, I feel there's so many companies providing absolutely terrible customer service that it doesn't, you know, it's my goal to provide the best customer experience ever. And one of the methods that we do that is with chatbots and it's, it's awesome. It really is. And this is just the beginning uh, for the awesomers out there listening. You know, we did start talking about this uh, over two years ago when it first went into beta at uh, Facebook and, and we've been kind of working along uh, and watching it. But this is still the very nascent beginnings of this uh, entire ecosystem of chatbots. And th there will be changes that happen over time and people go, oh, well, that's not how it was in the beginning. But believe me, it's still on balance going to be an extraordinary opportunity. It's going to be cross platforms. There's going to be all kinds of different ways to do this. And understanding for a marketing funnel that involves chatbots is something that I think is essential for anybody who's considering running a, an e-commerce based businesses. And, and to be honest with you, anybody who's running a land-based business should be looking at it too. For them, even more, they can drive engagement and activity with the customer and say, hey, come on in and see us. You know, Now that we've had this nice little bot chat and interaction, come on down to, uh, to our store or our coffee shop or you know, whatever the case may be. So the possibilities really are endless. And that's what makes me excited about the fact that you guys are helping educate people. Uh, tell, tell me... You know why people join your your MBU and and what result they should expect to achieve uh, as a you know as a student and and graduate perhaps of that uh, MBU. Yeah, so right now we're heavily focused in the online space, <clears throat> specifically Amazon because that's the, the majority of our bread and butter partners. But like you said, we have plans to expand more into like service based offline brick and mortar type type stuff, but. Um, right now we have, uh, eight different modules, uh, we're, we're coming out with a ninth bonus one, but basically these are just tactics that you, we use to accomplish an objective. So if your objective is to, you know, launch a product, then we have a, a tactic and a strategy for that. If your objective is to get reviews on past products, then we have a strategy for that. And uh, not only do we have the strategies, but we give the exact copy that we use in our own businesses, show you the exact funnel, and uh, so that you can either copy it into your account or you can just you know copy it into whatever chatbot system you're using. Because we have people that are using you know the seller chatbot, uh, Paul Harvey's building. We have people using ManyChat, and I think we have a few people using Messagero. Um, so uh, they can expect basically kind of an A to Z of uh, setting things up, you know, what a chatbot is, how to start it, how to sign up, how to set it up, how to integrate it into your Facebook account, you know, an overview of Facebook ads, how to set up bad objectives, and then all the meat and potatoes of, you know, whatever objective it is that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, uh, so, so for everybody who's, you know, paying attention, if you don't, if you know that messenger bots are something that you think are important and, and you believe uh, Paul and I, where we think the future is quite bright, when it comes to bots, but you don't yet have enough understanding or background, this may be the kind of you know foundational element that you need, and, and it's certainly worth taking a look at. Uh, and again, we'll have that in the show notes page uh, so that everybody can find that and and get connected to it. Paul, uh, you know, as you as you think about the the entrepreneurs and awesomers out there in the world, wh what do you think holds them up for making decisions? You know, to not necessarily to engage MBU, but just to kind of take that that next step in their business. It, have you ever thought about that? You know, what, what is what is holding people back from from taking action? So you think uh, like in, in, in terms to like fiscal investment or just anything? What, what do you think they're the most common issue that they face? Is it just they lack money or do they, you know, they they don't necessarily know that they're going to get anything positive out of oh, any speculation yeah. on that? 
I think it's mindset is, is everything to be completely honest. Um, it all comes down to, it boils down to your mindset and, um, you know, there's, I was, I had the privilege of instructing at this, uh, Austin, in Austin mastermind recently. And, um, I, I was really blessed, but there was some couples there that were just, they were so positive. They're not very technically savvy, but man, they had the right mindset. And there were a couple other people in the, in the room that were, there's something they didn't like, and they just allowed negativity to like boil over in their heads. And they started infecting, like they wanted to infect everyone else with negative, like negativity. So I think realistically, it's like we get in our own way so much, like you get in your own headspace of, you know, whatever fear may stop you. Um, you know, there's, there's real fears and then there's fake fears, like real fear. Don't go run into the middle of traffic and rush hour. You'll die. That's a real fear. Then there's fake fears that we go and we boil over into our head of like, oh, if I do this and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're going from starting a business to, you know, everyone getting malaria and you're losing your house and, and the world catching on fire or something because you're allowing fear to, to stop you from something. So don't listen to those fake fears. Like if there's stuff that, yeah, stopping you from that, it's mostly that your headspace, your mindset. I definitely agree. You know, this this uh, concept we talk about from time to time, imposter syndrome, or just us putting our own barriers in place, right? We, we self-impose limitations. And I think it was Henry Ford or somebody who said, you know, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right, right? So you may as well just think you can and, and then get it done. And I would just say to those out there, uh, myself, like, even though I have the capabilities and I, I kind of like the tech stuff, I started as a programmer as a kid. I don't have the time or inclination to deal with that stuff, right? Me setting up my own bot flow seems like an absolutely crazy idea to me. Not because I lack the capabilities. I lack the interest or time or, you know, motivation or whatever. But by having some sort of course or some sort of um, system that I can have one of my employees take a look at and, and be trained and have a, a system for executing with excellence, that's something that I get interested in. And so for anybody who says, well, I can't do it myself or I won't do it myself, just know that you know having good quality training is part of a systemic solution to build an organization. And that's one of the reasons why I believe in these types of things, because you get to accelerate your learning and your growth. Uh, so I, I definitely hope that uh, people take a good look at it. Uh, Paul, any, any final words of wisdom for our awesomers out there? Uh, anything you care to leave them with? Um, surround yourself with positive people that support you. Uh, if you're, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, you're going to rise to the level of your, of your, your friends. And I, I, I see this all the time whenever I go travel and I get to hang out with, you know, awesomers in different places. My, I get so energized and I'm an extremely competitive person and it's not that I want to, you know, like beat people. It's just that I want to compete and I want to be with them and I want to be, you know, it's like anything you can do, I can do better. Like, so surround yourself with people that push you in a positive way. And if you have people that drag you down and you can't get away from them, uh, you know, family members or something like that, just limit the amount that you let that go into your soul. Um, yeah, and, I and think very, very important uh, we talk about this from time to time that the concept, uh, you know, between awesomers and normies, one of the one of the defining characteristics is that, you know, awesomers are willing, even if the risk scarce, we're willing to take those risks, whereas normies, they want to protect us from those risks. And they think they're they're loving and caring by saying, hey, that's a terrible idea. Uh, that's never going to work. Uh, some of it, it can be quite hurtful, I have to say. Uh, the, the point is, you have to you have to look past that and, and just kind of go out there on your own. I think that's really, really good advice, Paul. And I, I do want to take a minute and just thank you for, for joining and spending some time with us this afternoon. It's really been a blast. Uh, thank you for being here. Yeah, man. This is awesome. I remember we can't be in person, but I'm sure there will be some event somewhere soon that I'll see you. Yeah, no doubt we will run into each other in person soon. Awesomers, uh, we will be right back after this. Empower. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. 
Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do, because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Uh, wasn't that fun? Uh, it's always just so interesting to me to, to dive into some of the history and recall some of the stories that kind of shape who we are uh, as people and as entrepreneurs. And I always appreciate awesomers like Paul being able to come on and join us and talk about some of the things they've been able to do. You know, Paul is a sought-after consultant, and uh, many of the things that he's doing in his life today are all focused around on helping others. And of course, that's a key part of our awesomer philosophy. So kudos to Paul, and we're sure uh, pleased that he, you know, he's finding success in, in these multiple areas that he's involved in today. Again, this was episode number 22 of the awesomers.com podcast. That's episode 22. To find relevant show details, notes, etc., links perhaps even, you can go to awesomers.com slash 22. As always, awesomers.com backslash 22. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again.